Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in. The whiteout is upon us. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you as always. And we're getting you set for a marquee matchup across college football this Saturday. A lot of focus on Happy Valley. ESPN's college game day is already in town. uh, And this campus will be under the microscope in a big way as Michigan heads to town. And Penn State, number seven in the AP poll, unbeaten through six games, hosting the five and one Wolverines. And a key Big Ten matchup that has a chance to to really bury Michigan a little bit this season and certainly serve as a springboard for Penn State and put them into that conversation as the college football playoff rankings uh, approach us. And uh, Penn State 6-0 and for the sixth time in the Big Ten era, for the fourth time since 2000, and for the second time in the last three years, a couple of years ago, 2017. Whiteout circumstances, Penn State improved to 7-0, 7-0 with a 42-13 victory over Michigan. Sean Fitz and I will give you our predictions later. We've got Brian Doan, National Recruiting Analyst from 24-7 Sports, uh, joining us as well to give us the lowdown and a preview of a huge, and I mean huge, recruiting weekend in Happy Valley. And Sean, you compiled that list Got it up on Thursday night for the recruiting guest list, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But Penn State looking to maximize its opportunity. The national spotlight is here, and there's going to be a ton of recruits here. A ton might be uh, understanding it a little bit. We've got a list over 50 guys with offers from Penn State going to be there. It's going to be stretched out over 2020. Uh, excuse me, 2020, 2021, 2022, and even 2023 guys on our list, which, I mean, they're, they're putting in the work. James Franklin said this week that there's a waiting list uh, about we're expecting probably in the 150 to 175 range. Uh, that's a lot of kids, man. That's a lot of kids. So uh, big, big weekend for Penn State. We're going to talk a little recruiting later. First, we'll get into the game. Of course, uh, one of the big storylines this week, Josh Gaddis is back in town. He's Michigan's offensive coordinator. Of course, he was Penn State's wide receivers coach. And so far, the results uh yeah they they really haven't been pretty yeah he's taking a lot of heat already in Ann Arbor and and obviously Harbaugh the jury has been out with him offensively that's kind of been the the surprise of his tenure so far with Michigan it starts with the quarterback and and we'll talk about that in a moment and Shea Patterson uh but but yeah just some some general notes here that kind of give you an indication of where this offense is at uh, through the first six games with Josh Gaddis as play caller. 94 of their 184 points through six games came against Rutgers and Illinois. So we're talking about basement dwellers in the Big Ten. Red zone offense right now, Michigan ranks 111th nationally. Uh, they've only scored on 21 of their 29 trips to the red zone, 17 touchdowns on those 29 trips. Penn State, by the way, 24 scores on 25 trips with 19 touchdowns. So two more touchdowns on four fewer red zone appearances. And then third down, uh, all of a sudden, Sean, Penn State is 30th in the country, 44% conversion. They were somewhere around 123, I think, going into the bye week. Michigan, 91st in the country, 37% conversion on third down. And 
those are just some some baseline points, but uh, the microscope in Ann Arbor is very much on this offense. It's very much on this quarterback, and I think that's where you got to start. Josh Gaddis coming in, Harbaugh, you know, apparently handing the keys over to him. That Shea Patterson's been the guy there. There was a lot of hype surrounding his 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 involvement and in, in, in his transfer from Ohio, Ole Miss. Uh, but so far, there has not been notable improvement for the Michigan offense, and, and that really starts with the quarterback position. Uh, so Josh Gaddis is going to be heading back to Happy Valley uh, with a lot of people paying attention to what he will do against his old uh, boss, James Franklin, who, of course, he spent time with not just for four years at Penn State, but was one of the guys that he brought into town from Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's uh, an overwhelming storyline this week, as well as Shea Patterson. I think Shea Patterson, obviously, is probably going to be the guy that, that impacts this game the most because when they've gotten down, when they've been struggling to move the ball, he's gotten a little loose and he's, you know, he's turned the ball over a little bit. So really haven't seen the development that you thought we would with Shea Patterson. I mean, this is a guy that was talked about as a five-star kid that uh, you know actually looked pretty decent at Ole Miss to start to his career, and then all of a sudden he ends up at Michigan. I don't know if that offense just kind of sucked the life out of of what they do because it's uh you know it's that throwback they'll, they'll they'll use a fullback they'll go under center they'll do all that kind of stuff and it's just it just hasn't worked I mean that speed and space that we heard all summer everybody was talking about it I mean that's not a complete surprise when you when you talk about who was talking about it because they they're well connected to, to Michigan and Josh Gaddis and things like that but just hasn't hasn't lived up to the hype I mean I'm interested to see how this is handled because I mean. You got to think that they're at the point where Jim Harbaugh is ready to take it if he hasn't already taken over it. They, they of course, jumped out to the big lead against Illinois, which they should. And then they allowed Illinois to score 25 points in the, I think, the second half or the, you know, uh, late in the game, at least. Uh, so it's uh, a really interesting Michigan team. It's still a Don Brown defense, which if we had Callahan on here, he'd be talking uh, endlessly about the Don Brown defense, which is still good. They still got athletes. They still got some really good players on that side of the ball. But really, it's kind of like Iowa last week. I mean, it's going to come down to what this Michigan offense can do against this Penn State defense. And you got to like the advantage that Penn State has with the defensive line against that Michigan offensive line. And and really, I mean, it's another game that they can just take the running game completely out of it. And if you do that against Michigan, I think it has a bigger impact uh, than you would think, you know, probably a bigger impact than anybody on the schedule uh, prior to this game. That comparison to the Iowa offense is appropriate in this case, and it's also inexcusable for Michigan. They have recruited at a level similar to Penn State in terms of assembling talent. We'll talk about their wide receiver group in a second, but it's loaded with former top 100 recruits and and guys who had opportunities to go anywhere in the country. They've got a, you know, a, a really impressive freshman running back there now but the fact is they have not been able to generate it in a way like a Penn State has and certainly at Ohio State recruiting even at a higher level than these couple programs over the last four or five years Uh, but but yeah they just have not had those results in in translating onto the football field I have some more notes on on Shea Patterson to get to in a moment but going back to to Josh Gaddis again the film familiarity is there Sean but it's not just the Franklin Gaddis connection um, I know a lot of people are going to draw the ties to, 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 you know, Ricky Ronnie getting the offensive coordinator job, Gaddis then leaving for Alabama for a season and using that as a stepping stone to get his this job at Ann Arbor. Uh, but ultimately, look, other side of the football, he spent a lot of time putting a lot of work and effort and sweat and tears uh, on this staff with Brent Pry, uh, with, with, with Sean Spencer. And that goes back again 
to Vanderbilt. That, I mean, these guys have a lot of history, and you know, the question has been, how is that familiarity going to play out? And I think it's not a one-on-one situation. It's not a you know Franklin's old assistant going to another program and them facing off down the road. You've got a Penn State defensive staff here that is very familiar with who Josh Gaddis is and perhaps uh, schematically what he may want to do against them. I know Josh Gaddis has insight as well, but he's a little outmanned in this situation. Yeah, and and you go back to when Franklin hired Ronnie over Gaddis, and and from a, a it's I know a lot of people don't like the job that Ricky Ronnie has done, but I, in my mind, from knowing the guys, from knowing the the people around the program, I, I from a football standpoint, it really wasn't uh wasn't much of a choice. I mean, Josh Gaddis has always been a recruiter, a great recruiter, a great position coach, but some guys just you know, aren't cut out to be coordinators. So you can be a great position coach and then eventually be a head coach, which I think is probably more the mold that you're looking at Gaddis. But when they've asked him to call plays, uh, you know, the, the, the results have not been great. When you talk to people at Alabama, the results were not great if he had his hand in the offense there. So, um, which is really hard to do, by the way. Uh, so we'll see how that comes about. Uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with Josh, like Josh, um, but I just don't see him, you know, at a program like Michigan, you know, that's not a place to get your feet wet. That's not a place that you go in and, and really you know, earn your chops uh, calling plays. And you could probably say the same thing about Penn State. So, it's, uh, and, and by the way, not just getting your feet wet, but be, getting your feet wet while being viewed as a, a someone who needs to be a savior and rise the offense up and, and, and help Jim Harbaugh get to another level. And that's a lot of pressure on a guy handling his business for the first time in this particular role. And out there, it's beating Ohio State. And I mean, (laughs) if you look at what they've done in the first half of the season, this is not a team that's going to beat Ohio State. So really interesting situation that goes on there. But yeah, it's going to go with Shea Patterson. And and you mentioned it earlier. These receivers are really talented. I mean, we've seen these guys and you you and I have seen these guys for a long, long time. I remember seeing Donovan Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black at the same camp at Penn State years ago. Uh, Penn State offered Peoples-Jones and and actually Gaddis did not offer Tariq Black, which I thought is has always been interesting, um, but uh, Nico Collins is there. And they got a, sh- uh, you know, they they got Cornelius Johnson, uh, you know, from Penn State, not from Penn State, but against Penn State last year. So there's a ton of talent there. They just, you know, it's kind of just kind of waiting for it to come together, and so far it hasn't. In terms of how these teams will use the talent, and we again, both these teams, there's a lot of a lot of former top recruits who who were recruited by both programs that are going to share the field. You look at the receivers that that Gaddis helped bring in, you know, Justin Shorter, KJ Hamler, Jahan Dotson, Daniel George, uh, and and look, he was instrumental in a lot of that. He was the offensive recruiting coordinator. Sean Clifford was was recruited by this program with Gaddis uh, as a big part of the staff, so a lot of familiarity in place there. But I've been wondering this, and, and Franklin alluded to it during uh, his post-practice media session on Wednesday, who is, who's been stashing some scheme stuff? Who's been stashing some gimmicks and is ready to unleash that? I'd imagine we're going to see some new things from both programs entering, entering Saturday night's matchup. And it, early on in 2017, a primary example that Franklin referenced was Barkley getting the ball out of a wildcat, the late shift before the snap with him and Trace McSorley, and then going the distance. And, and hey, I'm really curious about where those uh, you know, wrinkles are going to come in. And I think you're going to see those early in this game. Yeah, and I think KJ Hamler is the guy you look to. Um, I mean, the, everybody's going to be paying attention to him, and you know he can still beat you at that point. We've seen that before. So Hamler's going to be a guy that you look to. So you know, does that open some things up for Pat Fryermuth? Does that open some things up for Jahan Dotson? Does does that you know gasp open things up for Justin Shorter to look his way? Um, so we'll, we'll see how those things sort of take it because because the wrinkles don't always have to you know. 
uh, associate with the player finding that that particular player finding the end zone if they can do some things with Hamler which I know that you know every team is schemed for Hamler so far I mean that's that's very clear just to watch uh, you know how teams have played him but that's opened things up for some other people so I'm interested to see how Penn State will get away with it I think it's fair to uh, you know, expect a little bit more out of out of Penn State's offense than Michigan's offense, based on what we've seen so far. Based on you know how they played at Iowa last week, which wasn't the prettiest game, but you got out of Kinnick with a with an Iowa style win. I think that the adaptation that we saw from that offense is is a good thing. But still, uh, they're going to need more than 17 points, which you know they scored 17 against Iowa, 17 against Pitt, the two best defenses they've seen to date. Um, so that they're going to have to take that next step and and really. Um, you know, hope, you know, if you're Penn State, you're hoping for an early turnover, an early defensive touchdown or something like that just to get you sparked because this offense, while it's put up some points in, in some, uh, you know, in some lesser games, you still want to see more out of it against these teams like Michigan. Yeah, and, and one thing that comes to mind for me with Penn State is how about those two running back sets, something that we saw earlier this season. Um, did not see that at Iowa, and, and you know, just curious if that if that may be something they go to and, and maybe give some different looks in that regard uh, as they get this backfield utilized. You mentioned the the Iowa win for, for Penn State that wasn't really pretty. <laughs> remember the uh, Michigan win? I think you will remember that very well because you watched the film, Michigan versus Iowa. That was on home turf for Michigan. They won 10-3. to uh, it was probably worse than that score suggests uh, at ten, and it was ten three oh, oh, for no a pro- long time. There's, oh. <laughs> there's no probably about it. That definitely yeah. was worse. But no, I mean it's. Uh, I mean Michigan, they're five and one. I mean yeah. they're, they're they're a solid team, but they just. I don't think it's going to be a team that outscores anybody. I mean they're averaging thirty points a game right now, which sounds great. But when you take some of those other games uh, out of it, I mean, it really, you're looking at what. The Wisconsin game that they lost thirty-five to fourteen, which honestly wasn't that close. Um, they, they they won that Iowa game ten to three. I mean, they they struggled at times against Illinois last week. They of course, sorry, did not struggle against Rutgers. They really struggled against Army. Almost lost that game. So yeah, be really interesting to see how they they handle this this atmosphere because honestly, six games in, really you don't know a ton about Michigan other than that it's not going to be a team that's going to outgun uh, an opponent. Again, I'll repeat the, the stat from earlier. 94 points against Rutgers in Illinois and 90 points against the other four opponents. And, and and they were home against Army. They got taken to a couple overtimes in that game. And it's one of those situations where Army just doesn't have a kicker to, to get you through that game. And, and Army had that game. And the Wisconsin game, 35-14 looks bad enough. But if you turn that game on from the beginning and, and watched it through... Uh, it was it was a painful. I don't know why you did that. First off, because it was twenty eight to nothing late in the third quarter. Wisconsin was ahead. They really buried Michigan. Uh, Shea Patterson got a couple garbage time touchdown passes late in the game when it was already out of hand. Um, but yeah, they have you know. And last week, forty two to twenty five. You know that score against Illinois not really indicative of how that game went. Uh, they were up twenty eight nothing. Then they had th- uh, two lost fumbles that kind of opened the door, and fumbles have been key. I'll talk about that in a second. But it was twenty-eight to twenty-five late in the third quarter against Illinois. So this is not a team that has run away from anybody, except as you mentioned, Rutgers, and in their opening game, Middle Tennessee. Uh, but, but getting to this team, um, th- what's the pathway to a blowout for Penn State? Because that's been the theme of this series, Sean. Lately, it's been just haymakers, haymakers, haymakers. Since Jim Harbaugh got here, uh, you know he's got the advantage in. This this series three to one um but but it has been a, a, 
just explosive uh, performances by the winner. Last last year, uh, Michigan winning 49-10. The year before, Penn State winning 42-13. Uh, and then, of course, in 2016, before they go on their, their magical Big Ten championship run, Penn State gets absolutely thrashed in Ann Arbor. And and so, you know, I, I, we'll talk about our predictions later, but what's Penn State's path to a blowout? It's a turnover battle because they have been very good with ball security this season. We've talked about it, uh, you know, specifically with Sean Clifford as well with the two turnovers, no fun despite all his rush attempts. Uh, Michigan has 17 fumbles this year through six games, and nine of them have been lost. And Shea Patterson, in the first three games alone this year, he lost five fumbles. Uh, So it has been very careless on the part of Shea Patterson. Uh, Last week against uh, Illinois, as I mentioned, two fumbles were lost, one of them by the freshman running back, uh, Zach Charbonnet. And then there was also another moment where there was a a bungled exchange between Patterson and Charbonnet, I believe. They ended up recovering that one for a bit of a loss, but they just have not been in sync. And and it speaks to that. They've taken, you know, Shea Patterson is the guy who's only thrown three interceptions. That's a pretty solid number through six games, but you throw in those fumbles and it's a consistent consistent thematical issue for them and by the way uh again i think that if you can get you know a a couple of those earlier if you can get a turnover i think this is a michigan team specifically with its quarterback uh that knows it's under the microscope and i just wonder how they would react to to some early problems at penn state if they're if they're the team right now that is mentally equipped to bounce back because i think right now back in ann arbor they're heading here to happy valley and they know if they don't put together their first true complete performance of the season and they come home with a loss and and, and people are going to say well two losses the season's over uh if you don't beat ohio state you got to fire harbaugh they understand the pressure that's on them and i think there's an opportunity here for penn state to get the snowball rolling downhill for michigan and and you know pardon the whiteout pun but i think that is very much a real thing right now for shea patterson in this offense I absolutely agree. I mean, what I said earlier this week when critiquing Sean Clifford at Iowa was if he has those first two drives against Ohio State, that's you're you're down seven nothing, you're down fourteen nothing, something like that. If if Shea Patterson does that against Penn State this week, he's down seven nothing, down fourteen nothing. So I think that that you know if they you know it gets slippery out there and this defensive line, we we kind of expect them to to overwhelm this Michigan offensive line, which has been up and down, but a lot of down. Um, so it, it it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that early pressure, um, how Penn State can sort of build off of that, and really you know we'll get into Penn State a little bit later but a lot of that comes down to Sean Clifford and how he responds to that how he just kind of uh can can if he can play with that momentum and 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 Ricky Ronnie can dial something up big because I think you know this is one of those games if you land a couple of those haymakers early it could have a snowball you know it could be could have a snowball effect and and really when you when you take a look at last year's game and I don't like to bring up last year's game to our listeners because it's kind of PTSD but that was a close game for a while. And then, you know, at the end of the third quarter, things sort of completely and utterly fell apart. And, you know, it, it was we were left with what we were left to watch. Um, but, you know, Penn State uh, kind of played them well for a while. You got to avoid that drastic turnover. Um, you got to avoid, you know, Tommy Stevens rolling out and throwing right into the Michigan defenders' uh, arms. You got to avoid the, you know, the, 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 I guess create your own luck and, and avoid some of those penalties and things like that. Michigan, I think uh, I read uh, 47 yards per penalties per game, um, which, you know, that's that's not too bad um, considering what, what penalties are these days, just 37 penalties total. You know, 
It's going to come down to those key categories, the penalties, the field position, the the turnovers especially. And, you know, really th- those numbers that you mentioned earlier, red zone, third down, really favor Penn State heavily. Yeah, by the way, last year's game, 14-0 with 56 seconds to go in the third quarter. It's it's hard to believe, but it, it's it didn't feel like that at the end. It's insane to think about that. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, your quarterback in that game who, you know, Got to love Trace McSorley, but he was not Trace McSorley in that game coming off the injury against Iowa. Five of 13 passing, 83 yards, an interception, negative six yards. But again, 14 nothing with 56 seconds to go in the third quarter at Michigan. But turning attention to this one, Shea Patterson had himself a nice performance in there. I think he was really asked to be a game manager against Penn State last year. They relied on that ground game, uh, certainly to, to kind of uh, you know churn the clock out, control the quarters, and, and put Penn State away late. I think they're going to need Shea Patterson to do something he hasn't done really at Michigan, and that is elevate this offensive attack and really, you know, have his breakout game. And it's he's running out of time now. He's running out of eligibility. He was one of the top quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school. I personally had him at number one. I had Jacob Eason in that discussion as well. I had Dwayne Haskins in that discussion. Shea Patterson, though, I thought was the most impressive guy in that class. I got to see him at the Elite 11 stuff in Los Angeles at the opening uh, in, in where he won the Elite 11 MVP up in Oregon. And, you know, he goes to Ole Miss. And he only played 10 games at Ole Miss in those two years. Injuries were a factor there. I don't think they let him play early enough, quite frankly. But seven of those 10 games, Sean, he goes for 300-plus yards passing, two of them over 400 yards passing. His numbers at Michigan so far, 19 games, his high is 282 passing yards. He's got 12 games under 220 yards, five of those this fall. So five of the six games this fall, he's thrown for fewer than 220 passing yards. And he just has not been what he looked like coming out. You know, The, the projection was Shea Patterson was, you know, number one, improvisational. Someone who is going to to get you, bail you out of situations, uh, lift you in, in spots where other quarterbacks will maybe take a sack or, or settle for a two-yard scramble. He's going to find someone downfield. He's going to create. And I don't know if it's been this uh, a terrible marriage with Michigan that has kind of sucked all the juice out of him, but I don't see the confidence. The body language looks pretty terrible. And he's just not the same guy who looked like he was having so much fun at the high school level early on at Ole Miss. And when he went to Michigan, my first reaction was, oh my gosh, Jim Harbaugh's got a quarterback. Turns out, though, as he's halfway through his final year at the college level, just has not materialized in any form uh, under Josh Gaddis last year just has not happened. And and this is a tough time to ask him to come up with some sort of answer against an elite Penn State defense. You said it. I mean, he looks nothing like the kid that was recruited. Uh, you know, he could kind of had that little Aaron Rodgers to his game where he could just be, you know, just float around and make plays and, and just do whatever he had to do to, to get them there. And he seems like he's in a box right now. And that's the thing that uh, that, that has been interesting to watch his progression over the last couple of years. Uh, it just seems like he is just contained by the offense, contained by the play calling and things like that, and really not at his best. He's This is one of those games, and we, we you know, going back to Clifford, and I just completely keep going back to him, but, but this is one of those games that we said Sean Clifford's going to have to step up and win like, a, like an Iowa game, like a Michigan State game. It's the opposite with Shea Patterson. He's got to step up and, and sort of win this game for uh, for Michigan. So be really interesting to see how he handles it. Um, like you said, gets fast and loose. I mean, I don't know uh, if hand measurements are a thing, but he fumbled, you know, he'll fumble the ball, put the ball on the ground. Penn State's defensive line can overwhelm that uh, them at the mesh point, and they've had trouble with uh, with making those run decisions. If you follow any Michigan beat writers at all, you will know that there's been a frustration with that running game. Uh, and really, it's just uh, it's interesting to see because they've they've gone. On to Dylan McCaffrey, you know, Dylan McCaffrey's 
you know, their backup quarterback, but he's been hurt a little bit too that, you know, they've gone to him in the past. I mean, it's just, it's not a pretty, it's not a pretty offense. It's not a pretty situation. And Penn State can ride this atmosphere, get on him early. You're not sure what's going to happen. Yeah, Dylan McCaffrey, for those who are not familiar, is the younger brother of Christian McCaffrey, who's now an NFL MVP candidate, a former Heisman Trophy finalist, and the son of former Denver Broncos wide receiver Ed McCaffrey. Um, he's got the pedigree. I, I certainly don't think uh, he was the level of prospect that, that Shea Patterson was coming out of high school. He was, a, he was a quite a good prospect. He was in the Elite 11 competition as well. Uh, but let's face it. I mean, I, I don't know if it's the prospects at this point, Sean, or or just the construct there at Michigan, because I like Brandon Peters coming out of high school, too. And, you know, his career went 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 by the wayside. The, the most success they've had, it feels like, is picking up some grad transfers who can put together some games. And but back in 2017, as we saw that that offense didn't stand a chance against uh, against Penn State. And and all due respect to a 2017 team that made its case for college football playoff contention over the course of the year. This defense is on a different level. Um, and I and I think, you know, you're starting to see that this offense also has its fair share of weapons that that it can es- exploit opponents with so we'll find out a lot about Shea Patterson Josh Gaddis and, and and this is as I said as much as it's an opportunity for them to 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 prove themselves I think there's even more of a chance that they get exposed in this kind of spotlight and and, and we'll find out about that more um just really quickly um Shea Patterson just some more numbers last week against Illinois one of nine on passing downs. That means second, second and eight or third and five plus. Um, 71 yards on the one connection, but again, not efficient. 14 of 32, 218 total yards against Wisconsin. A couple garbage, uh, garbage time touchdowns, garbage time yardage as well. And, and then against Iowa, 147 yards passing and interception at home in a game. Again, that was 10 to three forever. It was 10 to three, like early in the second, second quarter. It if started Shea Patterson, 10 to three. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah if Shea Patterson could have orchestrated one touchdown, touchdown drive at any point I mean 17 to 3 against Iowa at home good night didn't happen at all so again uh Dylan McCaffrey maybe he factors in and and, but if you throw him into this situation white out circumstances against the defense with this kind of speed and the and the momentum that they carry into this matchup against Michigan good luck to Dylan McCaffrey in that spot offensive weapons are there though Sean Wide receivers, Tariq Black, Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, as you said, big-time players. But it's a former three-star uh, recruit, Ronnie Bell, who, who's been their leading receiver so far. And then Charbonnet, really, I mean, he's been busy as a freshman. They had not kind of eased him into the spot. Uh, they needed him at running back due to some circumstances. He's, he had a second 100-yard rushing performance last week against Illinois, 116 total yards. Week two, his second career college game, 33 carries against Army. He did fumble the ball last week, uh, but they had 295 rushing yards against Illinois. Hassan Haskins stepped up, 12 carries, 125 yards, one touchdown. He really hadn't made much noise before that game, but we've seen it. This Penn State defense uh, has really stepped up against the run. It it was kind of a bugaboo for them at times last year, particularly early in the season, Uh, but it has been consistent where teams that try to establish that run have not had much success. Yeah, uh, and and I I just kind of take it for granted that Penn State's going to stop the run anymore because they've been so good at it. And Michigan's run game, you know, it, it's gotten going at times, and others it's it's not. What I'm more interested in is the big play capability of of the uh, receivers because I'm looking at the receiver numbers, and I'm actually curious to see how the fan base on uh, lines 24/7 would react to the 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 ball being spread around like this because all People's these guys Jones numbers, woof. Yeah, yeah, you look at you look at what's out there, and, and Ronnie Bell leads them with twenty catches, but he had seven of those against Army and six of those against Rutgers. He's got he you know he combined for two two catches against Wisconsin and Iowa, which of course we go back is kind of the measuring stick for these guys. Um, yeah, Donovan Peoples Jones. I mean, you're looking at 
two or three catches per guy. And so you're spreading it around, but you're also not really getting anybody in a rhythm. You're not really getting anybody to go. Um, so, I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones has 12 catches this year. Of course, he missed two games uh, with uh, with injuries. He, you know, I had a pretty decent game against Illinois last week, three catches and a touchdown. Um, but no, it's, it, it's really interesting to see how they haven't used these guys more so than how they have used these guys, because we know they can play. Um, you know, Nico Collins is, is tremendously talented. Tariq Black and, and Donovan Peoples-Jones as well. Ronnie Bell, um, you know, probably, I don't know if he's the guy that steps up in a big game circumstance. So uh, really interesting to see how they'll utilize these guys if Patterson can get them the ball, because, you know, I think they, they will be throwing a, a lot. I mean, it's going to be tough for them to establish this uh, this running game. It's going to be tough for, you know, unless Shea Patterson is keeping the ball and, and carrying it 10 to 15 times and, and actually getting productive carries out of those, then it's going to be tough for them to, to move the ball on the ground. So I'm curious to see where that uh, where that goes from there. There's been, you know, hints of frustration from those games. There's been, uh, I guess, uh, people have mentioned that Nico Collins, he didn't play play against Illinois last week, didn't travel to Illinois. Um, there, there's been hints that he's been frustrated with it. So, I mean, is this all coming to a head, I guess is what I'm saying about this Michigan offense, because it hasn't been pretty. And, you know, if you're Penn State, you, you kind of like to see that. Yeah, these wide receivers, I mean, they can you know, change the game on a dime, though. I will say that if Patterson can can connect on, on one decent, you know, a, a pass in stride, these are the kind of players, Nico Collins and, and Donovan Peoples-Jones, who who can do something with that football and, and get downfield and maybe have a, a game-breaking play if they can get beyond the secondary. Uh, and, and so, you know, they're not going to necessarily need to rely on long, sustained drives because of those playmakers on the outside. But at the same time, this is a Michigan team that has not proven it, it can really sustain that explosive kind of offense. As I said, Shea Patterson has not exceeded 282 passing yards in 19 Michigan games. So I don't see it happening against Penn State. As you can probably predict our predictions are going to be positive for Penn State fans based on the evidence we've served up but I think it really does start with this Michigan offense and, and just the you know the lack of confidence that anyone has in it right now uh, tight ends are, are prevalent as you'd ex- come to expect in, in this attack with Jim Harbaugh and uh, three tight ends combining for four of the ten uh, touchdowns uh, receptions for this team right now so something to keep an eye on I think uh, Zach Gentry may have had a couple t- uh, touchdowns if I'm not mistaken last year against Penn State at the tight end position uh, Michigan defense allowing 17.5 points per game pretty solid effort there um, but again worth noting two road games now 60 points surrendered uh, they gave up 35 at Wisconsin and they gave up more than 350 rushing yards in that game uh, and then last week they gave up 25 unanswered points to Illinois part of that was the offense fumbling things away but uh, you know this defense uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it an elite defense I think they have definitely some elite playmakers across the board um, but look, look we saw what Iowa's offense is about uh, you know holding them to three points is obviously crucial to get that victory I don't think you're necessarily shutting down a potent offensive attack and you know they stymied their rushing uh, game but we didn't see much of a rushing game from Iowa last week either and credit to Penn State for that uh, I, I do think they'll have the talent to, to you know get after Clifford a bit here but Again, going on the road last week against Iowa, against that defense, and facing off against uh, particularly a guy like A.J. Epinesta, um, I don't necessarily see this as as a major upgrade in terms of what you're going to face as a collective defense. Again, I think they have some really impressive parts. I just don't see them playing at a, at a level that Penn State's playing defensively where it just feels like across the board, whatever 11 guys are out there, they seem to be on the same page and seem to be accountable, have each other's backs. Yeah, it's a it's a really good solid defense. I mean, it's obviously 
uh, top tier in the in the or probably just below the top tier in the Big Ten. So I, I don't want to write them off at all. I, you know, you don't see that dominant force up front, and I think that's really where you where you go back to. I mean. Uh, you know they've got some guys that have had some tackles for losses. Uh, Quiddy Pay, sorry, uh, I've been doing that since he was a, uh, <laughs> a recruit in Rhode Island. Uh, but he's he's been good. He's also been banged up a little bit. Aiden Hutchinson uh, is, is a guy that's been productive. Uh, Josh Uche. Uh, you know they they've got players. I, I just don't know that there's a game wrecker up front. You know Rayshon Gary for all the the you know for, for all the hype for all the uh, I guess the doubt that people put on him because of his recruiting hype. Was a really really good player in, on that defense, and you, that's a guy you had to scheme for. I look at this Michigan defense, and I don't really see a guy that you have to work around and scheme for. Now, the guy calling the plays is is fantastic. I mean, you, you can't say enough about Don Brown, um, but uh, it's it, it, it's just not the defense that really um, is as fearful as you would think. You you got a couple things written down here. Um, Sixty points they've given up in in two away games. I mean, I think that's relevant this weekend. We'll see how they sort of come out of it and see how they can uh, adjust to this atmosphere. They've got players. You know, everybody knows Kalik Hudson, Cameron McGrone's a guy that I've been watching lately. That is uh, a young guy that's really made some plays. So. They've got some playmakers. Uh, you know, I think the world of Ambry Thomas, and and you don't know if, I guess, LaVert Hill didn't play last week. Uh, so we'll see about them. So they've got playmakers all over the place. It's just I don't know that this 11 is going to match up to Penn State's 11. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, you mentioned Hudson. He At the Viper position, he's a guy who is very impressive, extremely productive, averaging just about 10 tackles per game. You know, they do have three guys who, who are over four sacks at this point. And you mentioned Aiden Hutchinson. He's the guy who won the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week when, when a lot of folks around here thought that maybe Shaka Tony should have gotten a share or maybe gotten the award outright after his performance against Purdue. Um, you know, again, they, they do have some, some really impressive guys. And I think, you know, again, the offensive line, they come through this one and they play like they did against Iowa. Then you're really starting to feel... Uh, really good about the offensive line. And, and you pointed this out when we were doing our midseason superlatives and, and talking about the, the play of Michael Mennett at, at center and just kind of collectively with Rasheed Walker and Will Fries. I mean, they get through this one, Sean, and the offensive line looks solid. You, that really is going to be a confidence boost. And that's going to start to convince more and more people that, you know, maybe you should put both feet on the bandwagon with Penn State in terms of their ability to, to make some noise, uh, you know, beyond November. Yeah, I agree. Um, and this is a big test for this offensive line. I, I didn't mean to undersell that that Michigan front seven because they can get after the ball and they can do some really good things. But you know, if you get them on their heels like Wisconsin did earlier this year, you've got an opportunity to to, to sort of get some of those guys off the field to get uh, you know just to to, to 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 gas those guys. The time of possession against Wisconsin, and I know Penn State plays a completely different game than Wisconsin, but Michigan had the ball 18 minutes in that game. I mean, that's just crazy when you think about uh, you know, I guess how those things come together. So this is a defense that can give up points. They can give up yards. Um, you got to ca- capitalize on the, on the red zone. You said Penn state's been fairly good in, in that sense lately. Um, so we'll see where that one goes, but I like Penn state's offense a little more. Like I said, I, it's, it's tough to compare defense against defense and offense against offense. When you're going offense against defense, um, I still like Penn state's matchup against Michigan's defense more than I like uh, Michigan's offense against Penn state's defense. I think it's pretty simple uh, analysis from that, from that standpoint. We've talked Michigan. We've talked about their defense. We've talked about Josh Gaddis and Shea Patterson and what lies ahead for them Saturday. Quick commercial break. Then we're back with uh, some keys to the game for Penn State, our predictions, and a conversation with Brian Doan about the recruiting weekend that awaits in Happy Valley. Stay with us.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Let's turn our attention now to Penn State. If you missed our t- earlier episode this week that came out on a late Tuesday night, we spent a lot of time breaking down the Nittany Lions through six games. We did our midseason superlatives. We actually have a published piece up on that where we went more in depth. Uh, team MVPs, top freshman of the year, surprises, second half breakout picks. Uh, Mark Brennan got involved with that. So check out. It's about 3,000 words up on Lions 24-7 right now. Uh, but a, a pretty interesting read. I liked reading Sean's stuff and Mark's stuff, and I threw my opinion in there as well. Uh, but Focusing on Game 7 now, Sean, um, we talked a lot about Michigan's quarterback. How about Penn State's quarterback? Uh, Sean Clifford, you know, the one knock on him at, at, so far this year has been some starts where he's looked wide-eyed. Um, I think last week you, or last episode you may have referenced deer in the headlights look against Iowa. Uh, and then he's, he's done a nice job of, of regrouping and getting his act together and coming up with key plays and, and finding ways to, to move the chains and also, just as important at times, not make the mistakes that can lead to tough situations for the Penn State defense or, or really produce points for the opponent. Uh, but this is a game where, considering the crowd that's going to be involved, and we said there is an aspect where it feels like Michigan is a team that you could really start rolling down the hill in, in a negative direction for them because of where they're coming into this game from mentality and especially their quarterback and offensive system right now. Uh, Sean Clifford can be a part of that if he gets going early. We've seen it before. Four straight touchdown drives to start the game against Maryland. Four straight touchdown drives in his last appearance at Beaver Stadium to start the game against Purdue. Different opponent this time around with a ranked Michigan team. Don Brown across the, the on the other sideline. But you, you do have to have Sean Clifford playing one of his more complete performances. You don't need the biggest numbers from him this game, I don't think, because I think there's, uh, you know, you don't need Maryland kind of numbers, but you just need a reined-in Sean Clifford who is ready to roll from the outset. You, you throw that number four around. How about this is his fourth night game uh, as a starter? So that'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Um, he's been in the situation before, uh, both home and away. So we'll see see how that goes. But you're right. I mean, this is a game where he's got to step up, be the guy. I think Don Brown's going to throw a lot at him. He's struggled at times when when they've masked their coverages, when they come out in a man look and all of a sudden they're in zone. Um, and really, he, he's had struggle adjusting to that. 
We talked about his deep balls. Um, I don't know if this is a, I can see this defense keeping things in front of him like Iowa did last week, um, but he's got to hit those shots when they take them. He's got to hit those uh, those intermediate shots, especially to, to Hamler and Dotson where they can shake loose and try and get something down the field. Uh, again, would love to see Justin Shorter more involved in this one. I think he's, you know, he's he's looked really good and that's the worst part about it i mean you, you take a look at the production he's got eight catches he's probably got 10 targets this year he's looked really good doing it uh just like to see what kind of role that he can expand into you mentioned some different wrinkles uh maybe two backs uh maybe working a lot of nick bowers this week in 12 personnel maybe trying to get uh, to to match up or to, to to get michigan to switch up some of their personnel where they're a little bit more uncomfortable and get out of it um i don't know that bringing the ball you know bringing the box in a little bit by by playing tight ends is the way, but you've got tight ends that can also stretch the field. Uh, of course, you got Theo Johnson visiting this weekend. We saw what happened last time he visited uh, when when Penn State played Buffalo. Pat Fryermuth had the big game, so just really interesting. I think uh, Penn State has the playmakers to do it. You just got to get them the ball and and really take what's there. And when they've been the most successful this year, it's been they've taken what's there. I can see that two back set uh, coming into play this weekend. I can see them uh, throwing the ball to the the running backs out of the backfield to sort of get uh, Michigan on its heels a little bit and making things happen. You can see Journey Brown, you know, bouncing back and having a good. Uh, a good week in that uh, in that regard. So curious to see how Ricky Ronnie attacks it. There's there's spots in here. I mean, Michigan doesn't do a ton of crazy things, but uh, Don Brown's good enough, and he's been around the block enough where you know how to go after a new quarterback. Yeah, you mentioned Justin Shorter that he's been a name that a lot of people have brought up, and, and a guy that can maybe if if he's more included in the game plan and more included in Sean Clifford's uh, dispersion of the football, it can take this offense to maybe a different level, the hold defenses to a different accountability. A lot of talk about Sean, uh, you know, you know, working his way through those progressions, looking that way. And I'm with you. Shorter has looked good when the targets have come. His body language has been very impressive. He looks like a confident player. That's been a key for him since he got to campus, and you know, he's he's been. Putting in the work as a downfield blocker. He's been chippy. Uh, so we'll see. I, I do think Jahan Dotson, there's a lot of potential for him to to be a major factor in this game because if they are going to to make KJ Hamler, Hammer, Hamler, geez, KJ Hamler, the guy they want to, ex, uh, you know, kind of um, extinguish from Penn State's game plan, I think you could see Jahan Dotson be a guy who can feast on some underneath routes. And, and Pat Fryermuth, you know, at some point, he's going to have a big game here. It's benefited Nick Bowers, the attention he's received. It's benefited other parts of this offense uh, and he continues to be a, a, a certainly a plus blocker you just wonder when Pat Frymuth is going to you know get it going again with the production in the stat sheet is it this game is this another game where Bowers you know kind of produces as well and and of course we got this running back group and, and they're all you know this running game in general is producing at a pretty high clip I know a lot of people have focused on Noah Kane but you look at the average rushing yards for everybody except Ricky Slade and you know sorry Ricky that's just kind of the way it's gone for him but Journey Brown's averaging somewhere around seven yards a pop Devin Ford's averaging more than seven yards a carry and and, and Noah Kane for all his carries now is is somewhere close to six so yeah I think you look across the board and take a long look at, at this running attack too it's certainly something that if you can get going it's going to force Michigan's defense into maybe some uncomfortable circumstances open some things up for you downfield uh talked about the uh the third down momentum keep that going um I think again additionally 
the interior of this defense has played at a high level. Robert Windsor's coming off uh, a really, really impressive performance against Iowa. And we've talked about how that two deep has developed that defensive tackle with PJ Mustafer as a really an emerging star figure there. And Antonio Shelton getting the job done in his starting role. And Fred Hansard coming back from injury, playing consistently uh, good football, getting in the backfield when he's had his opportunities. So I think if you can kind of continue that momentum in the interior of this defense, that's going to go a long way. We talked Michigan's going to want to try to be able to run the football here they've shut down just about everybody so far who's tried to do that against them if the defensive tackles come up with another really dominant performance or you know somewhere close to dominant it's going to set the guys up on the edge well it's going to give Micah Parsons room to roam and I think that's another big key for Penn State you talk about snowball potential with the offense and, and, and in general, but this defense, when they when they are able to pin their ears back, when they're able to go after the quarterback, when they're able to overwhelm uh, the, oppo- the opposition's offensive line, they can be really, really good. So I'm interested to see how that that handles. I think I'm right there with you that the the interior the the off excuse me the interior of the defensive line is going to be a you know a big uh, a big talking point on Saturday night. We'll see if they can if they can step up. And another big storyline from the first half of this season, Sean, is Penn State has found a four minute offense. It seems, and that's something that has been a uh, you know an absent part of the equation in the last couple seasons when they've had you know Big Ten title expectations. It's let them down late in games, put the pressure on the defense. And right now, uh, you know, I know people want to anticipate maybe a blowout for Penn State, uh, more of a comfortable win like we've seen in these series for whoever's coming out on top between Michigan and Penn State. But this one, you know, if it's a grinded out situation late, a one possession contest, you don't want to put your defense back out there. Uh, really curious to see. I mean, Kane is clearly the guy in this four minute offense. James Franklin has said as much. Um, and I definitely want to see if that's something that's sustainable for them because if it is and they can do it over and over and over and game in, game out, and if this team wants to keep playing deep into the season, there's going to be close games ahead. They're not going to be a bunch of Purdue matchups and Maryland matchups. That is something that you can hang your hat on, and and not many teams can do that effectively. And, and Kane seems to be a missing ingredient. You got to give it a hat tip to the offensive line as well. Uh, but but I'll tell you what, that is a really interesting d- development we've seen in recent weeks. And and if you can get that done against Michigan against Michigan this Saturday, um, I think it would speak volumes about where Penn State has progressed offensively. I agree. I agree. That offensive line, a big test for them this week. We're going to see how they handle it, and we'll we'll see what the I guess how things end up. How things end up as we predict them. Um, you know, very close actually. We uh, between you and I, and that's been a theme the last couple of weeks. And we don't. And, we, and let's be honest, we don't see each other's predictions before we send them in. Uh, I have Penn State winning. 31-16. I'm curious. I still, part of me thinks it's going to be the fourth blowout in a row, the fourth, uh, you know, no contest really, because um, I think Penn State's got a lot going for it. Michigan, not as much. Um, but at the end of the day, if it's a Don Brown defense, it's really tough to score uh, on a Don Brown defense. Uh, 31 points seems to be about right for me. Um, I, I don't know that this is you know, uh, a, a game that you're going to see three or four touchdowns strung together, as we've seen from Penn State in the last couple of years. But, you know, if you can string together even two touchdowns in a game like this, then that can go a long way to put yourself, you know, far away from from this Michigan offense, which I think is going to struggle if it gets behind. Yeah, I, I don't know what the deal is here, but we have been on very much the same page on a lot of these uh, maybe great podcast hosts think alike. I, I, I am very close, as you said, 30 to 17. So one point off in each direction. 
Um, you know, I see this game where I just not buying into this being Shea Patterson's breakout moment. And I almost feel like that's required in this circumstance for Michigan to, to go into Beaver Stadium and win the game. They need the 2016 version of Shea Patterson, who had all this potential, to show up on the field on Saturday night with the bright light shining. And, and Josh Gaddis is going to have to call the kind of game that he has not been able to dial up to this point. Under these circumstances, with the way Penn State's defense is playing, we've documented that quite a bit. I just don't see it shaping out to the point where they're going to keep up with Penn State. But obviously, Penn State's going to have to put up points themselves. If they come out and they're erratic offensively and misfiring and, and Sean Clifford never looks comfortable, then look, you're going to have a game that, that's going to be more like the Iowa game where you know 17 points would win it. I do think Penn State's going to find some ways. K.J. Hamler, to me, as much as Michigan wants to pay attention to him, you know, make him a guy that they eliminate... I just think that's so difficult to do. And he has, I said this before the Maryland game and then he delivered. He is a under the bright lights kind of guy. He is a guy who you know just seems to every time there's a circumstance where everybody's watching and, and, and it's a big time matchup or it's, you know, a mark uh, prime time game that, that everyone's staring at KJ Hamler comes through. He did it last year in the whiteout game. He got knocked out late in the contest, which I think really contributed to, to Penn state's ineffectiveness late in that game. But he had almost 200 all purpose yards against Ohio state last year. I think he'll do something special. He may be limited in touches because of what Michigan's going to counter Penn state with defensively, but I think he will have one of those wow moments for us again. And then Noah Kane. I mean, the last couple games, 27 touches, 232 yards on that couple touchdowns. I think you're going to see him get the ball more. I don't know if 22 carries is in the cards. I'm very curious to see how guys get involved with that backfield, but that Kane Hamler, you know, you're starting to see some emergence there. And, um, you know, I'm going 30 to 17 and, and a seven and no start that, as I said, sends them to Michigan state with major expectations for what this season, uh, could on have the way things could unfold moving forward. By the way, uh, Mark Brennan, our colleague at lines 24 seven, he's going a 24 13. So a bit more low scoring and the average of our lines, 24 seven predictions, uh, 27 15. So, uh, uh, the, you know, 12-point margin, if you said that in August, you'd probably be like, ah, is Penn State going to be that good? Or is Michigan really going to be that inefficient? It's kind of where things are right now. And, and, you know, Las Vegas doesn't necessarily agree. We're a little above that. But a nine-point spread right now in favor of Penn it's State. huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, uh, not, how often do you see a nine-point spread in a, in a game of the week type situation? So, um, yeah, I agree with you there. Put me down for a pair of touchdowns by tight ends this weekend. I think Penn State can can work that in Fryermuth and whether it's Fryermuth and Bowers or two to Fryermuth or whatever. I, I think that they can, you know, step up in this game. Of course, this weekend, huge recruiting weekend for the Nittany Lions. Uh, for that, we're going to start off uh, and go straight to Brian Dome. We recorded this with Brian a couple days ago. So, um, one point that he makes is is a little outdated, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll address that after the uh, the interview. We now go to the phone line for 24-7 Sports, Brian Doan. Brian's a frequent guest on the podcast. You can find him on Twitter at BrianDone247. You can also find him on the Lions Pride message board as he's often a guest, dropping by with Scoop and such. Brian, thanks for coming on. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, as always. As always, yes, it's whiteout week. That means we're having you on. We always seem to talk about the big things, uh, the, the lash bash and the whiteout and all this kind of stuff. But uh, before we get into that, Penn State 6-0 and right now. We've talked before about the need to sort of regroup and put together a good season to, to, to get away from some of that bad juju that they had you know, over the first part of this cycle. How do you think that's coming off to people? And I know they don't have a ton of spots, but how do you think that it can impact the 2020 finish as well into the, as the jump into the 2021 class? Yeah, I think the more important part is what does it do for the 2021 class? Look, 
there's there's a reason Jordan Morant is still talking to Penn State, you know, with, with them off to the fast start. And there's a reason why Theo Johnson is still, you know, high on the list and, and why Sean Martin from West Virginia wants to take an official visit. Um, because all of a sudden people are talking about Penn State again. And now you're saying, wait, white out Michigan. And I, I think Michigan's corrected some of the problems they've had. You know, I still think Penn State goes into this as the favorite, having not looked at the line or anything, but just having watched both teams. And you can really see the showdown lining up for Ohio State down the down the road for, you know, not only a, a birth in a Big Ten championship game, but a playoff. And when you're in the discussions for a playoff, with the way college football recruiting is now, where it seems like 90% of the elite kids go to seven or eight schools, it's good to start being in that conversation because that's how you take the next step. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think Penn State's done a nice job of, uh, of regrouping and getting where they need to be. Of course, you've got Michigan ahead of you. You've got Michigan State. Minnesota seems to be so, sort of an upstart. And then, of course, you know, uh, you know, if you can get through those games, you sort of hinge on that Ohio State game. But just to be in the conversation for the playoffs should go a long way. Going into this weekend, we, you, you talked a little bit about Theo Johnson and Sean Martin. Uh, realistically, what are you expecting uh, from the official visitors and how much uh, can, how, how much can Penn State really benefit from from the immediate, uh, I guess, uh, the immediate outcome of this game? Yeah, you know, it's always good when you win. <laughs> let's not let's let's not kid ourselves on that. But if you remember, um, you know, even even last year's uh, game against Ohio State, where it didn't quite finish the way people wanted it to with Penn State, the feeling coming out of that from the official visitors or the unofficial visitors. It was still all positive, and they loved the environment. So, you know, when you get Sean Martin and Theo Johnson in there for an official, I mean, it's going to be outstanding because that's what Penn State does. That's how that's how things go for them. You're going to have a great crowd. The buildup is going to be insane. You got, you know, game day there. So you're going to have all the bells and whistles. But, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a coach in the DMV on Tuesday afternoon. And we were talking about the Big Ten and the struggles of Maryland and Virginia Tech and Rutgers and recruiting. And, and I, I get it. Penn State's a higher level program than, than those and, and has been for, you know, a long, long time. But he said somebody asked him about, hey, how do we recruit better? And, and his response was, go follow what Penn State does because nobody recruits better than Penn State. So I asked, what does that mean? And he said, keeping in contact with the kids, making the kids feel important. And he said, and when the kids get on campus, they all feel like they're already part of the program. And you hear that a lot with some other programs. But for whatever reason, Penn State has that connection. And the whiteout game, I mean, look, I know you clear your schedule months in advance to make sure you don't miss events like this and have something scheduled. Um, and that's what the kids do, too. They, they make sure that they figure out ways to get to this game, even when they're playing that afternoon. I appreciate the cheap shot there. Don, of course, always has to take over for me when I'm, you know, in England for a wedding for a junior day. You know, he, he never lets me forget that. <laughs> so so looking at this visitor list, obviously the 2021 class is really what jumps out to you. And a couple of positions jump out to me right away. The offensive line with guys like Landon Tangwall and Wyatt Milam. Uh, Nate Bruce is going to be up there. Uh, uh, Tristan Lee, you know, it's just 
there's so many guys on this list that you know you could potentially see in this class. Oh, so we'll start with the offensive lineman. What do you? I mean, given where Penn State is on the offensive line, they're taking a bunch this year. Uh, how, how do you see them sort of uh, using this weekend uh, to bring that group together? Yeah, I, I think you know the one that jumps out is Landon Tangwall, right? And he he's had this visit set up for a long time, and it's something he looked forward to. And it's funny because I'm going to go see him play on, on Friday night, so it's really going to be able to be fun to talk to him then and then get his reaction after the visit. But when you you look at what they want to do on the offensive line and, and you want to recruit the elite kids in the area, um, and, and that's how you build your offensive line. I know they missed on some kids they wanted in the 2020 cycle. They still get some you know really good players with commitments there. But I, I think it's a chance for Penn State to really showcase everything great about Penn State football in a night like this. Because, again, kids don't have to get up at 6 in the morning and drive up there and, and fight traffic. They can take their time getting up there. I mean, they're still going to fight traffic because that's just the way it is. But for me, I, I just look at it from the standpoint of it's a nice, relaxed day leading up to something really exciting. And listen, there's a reason that when you get the commitments and James Franklin's always tweeting out, you know, 107K, that sticks with the kids. Because one of the things that makes the Penn State game day atmosphere so special is the crowd. And there's great crowds everywhere, but for whatever reason, that Penn State crowd is just a little more personable to the recruits. And, and I, I think the crowd does a great job, and the student section will do a great job of making sure the, the players feel some personal connection to them. And, and when I look at the offensive line, they need offensive tackles. I, I don't care. So you look at a guy like, like Wyatt Millam from, from West Virginia. Getting him on campus for this is huge. He was just at Georgia last weekend. He is a legit national recruit. And... and Kids from that area of the state, he's in Huntington, West Virginia, especially the offensive linemen, have not stayed in state. So you're not going to sit there and say, hey, he's going to West Virginia anyway. And so there's a real opportunity to make a headway with some really big-time players. Would you say Tangwell's the most important visitor this weekend? I know, I know it's kind of, you know, it's it's not – putting no, somebody on the spot like that is tough. but No, no, I mean, look, I, I'm, I don't mind that at all. No, I to me – Landon Tangwell already knows what's going on with Penn State. He, he knows what he's looking at with Notre Dame, Michigan, whatever. To me, if Tony Grimes gets up there on that visit, he's the most important guy because he's a shutdown corner who can give you a, a really great connection into the Tidewater area of Virginia. You know, his, his dad is, is locked in and recruiting down there and knows everybody and, and is influential in that area. And at this point, I think Penn State's kind of like on the outside looking in with him, and it's early again. So to me, if you can make a huge impression with Tony Grimes, who you know is to me just an absolute stud, then that can really open up a lot of other things in that area. 
Well, let's talk about that area. They just got Keandre Lambert. I know he's a guy that you like a lot. Uh, you know, how much do you think they can possibly get in there? Because they, you know, they they sort of took a little bit of a step back. David Corley was down in that area a little bit, but you've got Jared Parker and Jaywan Sider creep down there. How much does it mean for Penn State to be in that area? Because that's a spot they've gotten some players out of, but they're, you know, they're not the constant threat that the Virginia Techs are and, and things like that. But how much would it mean for Penn State uh, where they're at as a program right now to, to sort of get back in with the elites down there? Well, yeah, and and I, I think they're they're backing with the elites when you get Keandre Lambert because he's a big time player. I mean, you and I both love him um, and think he's. I think people really undervalue him despite a really good ranking. Um, I, I think getting him was huge, and you know Malik Newton out of Lake Taylor down in Norfolk is is supposed to be on campus this weekend too, and that's huge. And look, if you look at the region as a whole. There is one program relevant on the national landscape, and so it's easy for Penn State to go down there and get involved. and And I don't know if I shared this story with you or with somebody else, but when I was down there in the spring, and I'm driving from school to school, and I'm in, um, you know, downtown Norfolk, and I look up, and there's a Penn State billboard, and so Penn State knows the importance of being down there. And it just, you know, made sense where, where I said, you know, that 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 does make sense because it's a it's a big time program. You can still get there with a day's drive, and yeah, there, there's a absolute ton of talent, and I don't think anybody has really gone out and claimed that territory lately. Looking at another position group, this is one that you and I have talked about before. Uh, Caden Prather at wide receiver, Liam Clifford, Zaki Wheatley, you know, Penn State, obviously, there's a bunch of targets that they could, you know, sort of center in on. I know that they've cast a wide net at receiver, but these are just a couple of guys that you and I have talked, you know, this seems like logical choices to end up in that 2021 class. No, there, there's no doubt about it. And you look at, you know, Zaki Wheatley and Caden Prather in particular, and they're DMV guys. And Penn State's had success down in the DMV lately, you know, for a long time, actually. And they're really good players. And you and I spoke about Caden Prather, you know, at a Germantown Northwest several times. I think we're both on the same page. We think he's an absolute um, stud receiver who has a chance to just be elite. Alabama just offered him. And I know Alabama offers, uh, let's just say, a lot of kids. But, you know, he's somebody that has been to campus a few times. He is making sure to get up there. He does not make a ton of visits during the season. I, I like him a lot. And then Zaki Wheatley, you know, he, he's at Archbishop Spalding, which is not a place that's going to produce a ton of high-end kids. They, they they get their share of D1 players and, everybody, and everything. But I'm talking about high-end. And, and he's been on campus a few times already, too. And he really is a nice kid. He, he's what I think of a Penn State kid, you know, um, really strong family, great kid values the alumni network that Penn State offers and, and it just makes sense and so it's right and those two players in particular are right in Penn State's wheelhouse. Let's stay with the DMV. Uh, I talked about it coming off of the win against Maryland. You and I have talked about it as well. Uh, where does that win against Maryland, not just the win against Maryland, but the the way that they absolutely manhandled the Terps, where do, what does that do for them in that area? Does it, does you know, does it I guess, what does it do for both programs, really? Well, look, everybody knows what Penn State is and has been, and, and we get that. I think it hurt Maryland more than it helped Penn State because Penn State should have won that game. But when you win it like that, 
it makes, you know, elite kids say, oof, this is a little, you know, a little more work to get to the top than, than maybe we thought. And we know it's going to be a rebuild with Mike Loxley, and it's going to take some time. And, you know, I, I've said it on the Maryland board, and I, I don't think it went over well that, you know, Maryland's got to start out focusing on maybe not the elite of the elite down in the DMV, but kind of really dominate the next level of player there. And that's how you kind of work your way up. Um, and it goes back to what I said earlier. The elite kids are going to the six or seven or eight programs that they feel like have a chance to be in the college football playoff. And that's where recruiting is right now. And so for a school like Maryland, it's a build to get, you know, to that eight and nine win plateau. And then if you want to make the jump, that's when you, you know, maybe can get some of the, the, the more high-end players on a consistent basis. But for Penn State, um, they've, always, they've done well down there. And so for Penn State, it's kind of more of a kid saying, oh, okay, yeah, look at what they did. They put that up. Um, and, and to me, that, that, that was the significance of it. I don't think you're going to get Rakim Jarrett out of that just because you won a lot. Um, you know, there's, there's always going to be some kids that are going to want to go play in the SEC because that's what kids and their parents think is that the best football is played in the SEC. And I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that's what kids think. Switching gears here, class of 2022, and already some familiar names popping up. Makai Flowers on the list, Nicholas Singleton from Governor Mifflin, Tevin White, uh, the former teammate of Devin Ford. Um, you know, how much can they help themselves with the 2022s? And you know, really, who, who jumps out to you in that group? Yeah, I, I think the important part about the 2022s and, and, and even the 2023s is, you know, for guys like, you know, Makai Flowers or even like a Caden Saunders or Nicholas Singleton, Tevin White, you know, the, the kids coming from Michigan, you know, like Will Johnson and, and, and those guys, this is huge. And Penn State has to figure out a way with all these recruits on campus and at the game and still trying to prepare for, you know, to this point, the most significant game of the season. This is the only time these coaches can really have access to these kids and and really continue that relationship. You got, you know, the 2021s and the 2020s, the coaches can contact. The 2022s, the 2023s, they cannot contact. Now, those kids can call the coaches and there's ways around it, but this is the easiest way for them to really make that contact. And for me, that's huge. It's huge. You know, Mackay Flowers, Nicholas Singleton, they're pretty much local kids, um, you know, Redding and Harrisburg. And so there's already the familiarity there. But for Tevin White out of North Stafford down in Virginia, it's important that he gets some time, at least, you know, some face time with Juwan Sider because, you know, when these coaches go out to the schools in, in the fall and the winter and even the spring, you know, NCAA rules prohibit them from talking to the underclassmen. So this is a chance to really have that opportunity for FaceTime. 
we'll circle back around to 2020. Theo Johnson is a guy that I know that you saw down at the opening. You were very high on, uh, really, probably the top target left on Penn State's board. Of course, Penn State still tracking several other guys. I know we're watching a couple of committed guys as potential visitors this weekend that once we you know, confirm, we'll put on the, the Lions Pride message board. But how important is Theo Johnson? I think we've had this conversation before. It seems to have drawn out a little bit. But uh, how important is Theo Johnson? And, and really, what, what can they show him this weekend? You know, to be honest, I can't believe this kid's recruitment is still going on. I feel like it's been close to ending, but but not close to ending for six years. And it's not been a drama recruitment. It's not like no, he's... it's he's, not. It's just yeah. taking his time. It's not like, hey, this is my leader. I'm going to commit. I'm going to announce. Wait, I'm not going to announce. This new school has shown me more love. No, it's just, you know, we're so used to things being sp- sped up that, you know, to see a kid actually take his time and, and really make the pros and cons lists and... and do all that stuff. It's kind of refreshing. Um, and plus it gives us somebody to track in a 2020 class. Uh, listen, for, for me, when you look at what Penn State does with their tight ends, and you know, it's not like they're going to sit there and say, oh, we've got to showcase Pat Fryermuth this weekend because Theo's going to be there. But that's just what Penn State has done for a long time is they've always, you know, they're good with tight ends. They're, they're really good with what they do with their tight ends. And this is another opportunity for them to show that. And I think that is something that can only help. I, I still love where Penn State stands with Theo Johnson. I, I do. I think it's, you know, Penn State's in the driver's seat in my eyes. But you always want to make that impression and continue moving things forward. And Jordan Moran, I know you were up to see him last week. Uh, what did what did he have to say, and where do you think this one's going to go? Because it seems like it's one that could actually get crazy the closer we get to signing day. Well, listen, there, there's no doubt that he is going to make some more visits. I mean, he, he was scheduled to have surgery on Sunday. Um, it's a shame he tore ligament in his foot, so he's done for the year, which now allows him to possibly get to campus on Saturday because they play at 1 o'clock in New Jersey. But if he doesn't have to go home and shower after the game, he could just, you know, set out to, to state college, but you know, he wants to get out to USC. We'll see what happens with that just because of, you know, what's going to go on with the coaching situation out there and, and do they make a move or, or do they not make a move? He's committed to Michigan. Um, I know there's concern on Michigan's side that maybe his mom has not been to campus to develop that relationship like they want. Um, he visited Texas A&M, and, and Texas A&M is doing a, a good job of recruiting kids in New Jersey. I mean, they have two kids from South Jersey committed. And so this is intriguing because if Penn State comes out and plays well and the secondary does well and he's really feeling it, and, and again, he's around a lot of people there that are in his ear, and he lives in an area that is Penn State centric in New Jersey. And the, you know, the flip side is, is Michigan has not had the presence in North Jersey as it's had in the last you know, couple of years. Um, I think there's a real opportunity there. And I, I think you know, Michigan is still in the driver's seat because Anthony Campanelli is on staff at Michigan. And his brother, Vito, is coach of Burke Catholic. But one thing I know about Vito Campanelli and, and, you know, the Campanelli brothers with the high school that they're at, 
they're not going to have the family bonds influence a kid. They're just going to help the kid make the best decision. And I know people are going to sit there and go, oh, Penn State's not getting a Bergen Catholic kid, blah, blah, blah. That, that's just not true. It just hasn't been the right match. Don, I think we're out of time, so I can't ask you about the Rutgers coach, and I'm sorry for everyone about that. But uh, no, thanks, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you having or having you on the show as always. Uh, stay tuned to the Lions Pride message board. Don's gonna be writing stories all weekend. I'm gonna make them because I, I don't feel like writing them. Um, but uh, we appreciate him and his contributions. You can find him on Twitter at Brian Don two four seven. If you're listening to us, you probably already follow. You hopefully you already follow him. But Don, thanks for coming on, and we'll talk. We'll, maybe we'll talk to you next week. Hey man, I appreciate it. Thanks to Doan for his time. As always, if you noted, his most important visitor, uh, cornerback Tony Grimes, is no longer on the list. He could not make the trip this weekend, so that's how fast these things move. Uh, we've got a bunch of new additions to the uh, uh, the visitor list on Lions 24-7. It's a huge, huge list. I uh, implore you to check it out. We've also got a couple free previews up with uh, you know the top 10 offensive players to watch. Going to get to defense a little bit later today. But uh, yeah, it's a big, big weekend in Happy Valley. Yeah, and we got the free stuff up, but there's a a lot more VIP available, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. We were encouraged to mention this as well, so there is currently a whiteout VIP offer going on on our site. Buy one month, get two months for free, which uh, that's going to take you into the early signing period. You're going to get to stay with us and, and everything that we're hearing, what Sean's hearing, what Steve Wiltfong and Brian Doner are hearing leading up to that December early signing period. Again, one month of VIP coverage, and then you tack on two months for free beyond that. Pretty darn good deal, and and if you've seen it, we've been ramping up our coverage. One of the stories I wrote um, this week, Sean, was regarding Garrett Nussmeyer. Um, spoke with him; uh, he's been great checking in with us uh, over the uh, since getting his offer back in May from Penn State. He's making his second trip to campus this weekend, uh, coming up from Texas. So this is not an easy trip for Garrett Nussmeyer. Uh, been really impressive his junior year down in Flower Mound, Flower Mound High School in Marcus, um, Texas, and, and he's a guy who is the son uh, of um, of Coach Nussmeyer, he's the Dallas Cowboys tight ends coach. Uh, he spent time with this Michigan offensive staff earlier in, in Harbaugh's tenure, and he's bounced around uh, big level football. He played at uh, at, at high level football at quarterback, and and you know now his son has emerged as a player to know. They were on campus together back in June, um, participating in, in one of those Nittany Lions prospect camps. He was working with Ricky Ronnie. He came away really impressed enough to say, "I'll be back." Here he is coming to campus, decided that in the last week or two. Um, one notable thing here with Garrett Nussmeyer, aside from him being one of Penn State's top 2021 quarterback targets, so again, he's a junior, um, he did address his commitment timeline during our conversation before he had said December, January, so kind of within the immediate aftermath of his junior season. Now he's saying sometime around Easter, so that put, puts this into mid-April, and I think because of that time frame, you can now maybe work your way into an official visit uh, in, in spring. And, and obviously, if he sticks with that mid-April, you're only going to have about a two-week window to maybe get him on campus for an official visit. But he's he's making the trip with a friend. He's showing the willingness to get here to Happy Valley. And he's been you know impressed by this Penn State offense, what he's seen so far. And he said the message that they're sending him is they're going to surround their quarterbacks with weapons. I think he sees that with the guys they've got at tight end, at wide receiver, at running back right now. And he feels like it's a good spot to be in as a quarterback for a program that's going to have championship aspirations, that's going to have the weapons around. And and that's something that stands out to him. And, and we've talked about this a lot. They, they've got uh, you know a few different fishing poles out there in the 2021 recruiting class for quarterback. Uh, but at this point, there's not necessarily anything that looks imminent. And But this is a good sign for them in this particular case. 
as great as they've recruited, they're still you know, sort of missing that top-tier quarterback. We talk about Caleb Williams and Nussmeyer and Jake Rubley from Colorado. 2021 is going to be the time that they got to get that done. Uh, 2020, you got Micah Bowens, which, to, to be quite honest with you, is not going to scare off any 2021 uh, guys. So we'll see uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, another top 2021 that you talked to this week, Evan Pryor making the trip back to campus. His sister, of course, a student at University Park. So He'll be back. Um, uh, you, you talk to him. I, I get the sense that Penn State heavily in the mix, uh, but I don't think he's close to a decision or anything like that. Yeah, well, Penn State, uh, he was the first running back on Penn State's board. They offered him back at the spring game in 2018. So that, that's a pretty long time. He was only a freshman in high school. As you mentioned, he had a sister that, that was in her freshman year as a Penn State undergraduate. So he had some familiarity with the campus. Of course, his parents do in that regard. Um, but a lot has changed for Evan Pryor. As you often see in the case of these early offers, he's a guy that has seen that 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 list expand. He's gotten to a few visits this year, to some big-time environments. And and he certainly has a, a much longer a larger horizon in terms of, of his college football opportunities than, than what he did just a couple years ago. But look, he, he's, he was, he's got a little bit more of a, a, an immersion within the Penn state community because his sister is a student. He was, he actually came up and he participated at Thon for a bit. He was out there, uh, you know, dancing himself with his sister and her friends. And so he's seen some things that wouldn't necessarily be obvious to other recruits when they come up, you know, and it's more of a football facilities and academic thing. He, he gets more of the social aspect of this deal. So, you know, Penn State is getting him back to campus. He was at that junior day in February. He was at the whiteout game last year. So he'll have two whiteout games under his belt as a recruit. And he is a 2021 prospect. So we're still talking about, you know, he's really still only about halfway between when he's going to be able to sign and when he actually landed on this target board. So a long way to go. But talk about the way this team has been recruiting running backs. And and he's been one to watch for a long time in the 2021 class. And, you know, if this is the case, a kid out of North Carolina, maybe you don't have to go all the way down to Florida to grab a running back the one thing I am curious to, to hear him if you know if he's being completely honest you know you do hear from all these running backs that they say I'm not afraid of competition I think I can go and play in any school I don't care what's there in the depth chart but at some point and, and you and I'm sure there are other programs that are going to point this out to running back recruits when you look at how the depth chart shakes out for, for Penn State and the kind of talent they're bringing in it's great to see because it gives Jay Wan Sider a lot of options but Hey, it can also be intimidating from a recruiting aspect and, and what you may encounter. And again, I think there's other programs out there that say, look at the path we can present to a 20 carry kind of situation versus what Penn State may give you, uh, where, you know, a guy like Devin Ford is looking at four to eight touches a game. You know, if he had gone to a, say, a school like Virginia Tech, would he already be like an offensive catalyst for a bad team, by the way? But I, I think that's part of the conversation now as Penn State tries to continue its trend bringing in these top tier running backs. No, that's fair. And uh, I think a good uh, statement to make would be the class of 2021 offensive line that you're bringing in this weekend. <laughs> yes. Uh, you got an opportunity for some really, really good, but we're going 10 guys to know on offense and five of them were offensive linemen. Of course, Landon Tangwall and, and Nolan Rucci, two guys at the top of the board, but then you've got Nate Bruce, who's been up a bunch, Tristan Lee making his third trip, or excuse me, his second trip in three weeks, and then Wyatt uh, Millam from, uh, from West Virginia. So, I mean, a tremendous opportunity for that offensive line. Uh, you know, if you want to get on, if they, if they happen to get a jump and I don't really see any of these guys you know jumping on board right now but uh with the exception of maybe Nate Bruce but uh I mean if if you can get a jump on that offensive line class it can really help bring some other things together defensively uh more of a back seven uh heavy type of group Uh, a lot of defensive backs uh Isaiah Johnson confirmed last night uh Derek Davis uh, confirmed earlier this week he's a you know those are top two or excuse me top 50 players in the in the class of 2021 uh you got guys from out of the area like uh 
uh, Rodney McGraw's coming, defensive lineman from Indiana. Uh, Stephen Ortiz from Arizona. Jordan Hancock from from uh, uh, Georgia. I mean, just there's so much talent uh, coming to the game this weekend, and it's t- it's really tough to to nail down any sort of spot. But you're looking at an offensive line, you're looking at wide receiver with guys like Caden Prather and Zaki Wheatley and and Liam Clifford, and even some more beyond that. And uh, and then the defensive backs and the, and the back seven. I mean, it's a really really impressive group. Yeah, this is clearly, you look at the list, you look where guys are traveling from. These aren't official visits. You know, this is on their dime. They've got to put together the itineraries with their families or coaches or friends or what have you. And, you know, this is one of those games. You look at the calendar on the schedule, you know, it's one of those top 10 games that kids are going to circle and say, you know, I got to find a way to get there. It's an environment I need to see. And, you know, we'll see what happens in terms of commitments, if anything happens there. Uh, But ultimately, you are creating a, a very good foundation and something that kids will look back on when they think of where they want to play football where do they run out where do they want to run out of the tunnel into a certain environment this is the kind of environment that that gets these guys juiced up uh, we've seen it pay off in the past we've seen guys go elsewhere in the past despite visiting and come back and play this game on the other sideline but it's going to be really interesting and, and just going back to the offense we talked a lot about Sean Clifford baby bros on campus again Liam Clifford he's got the offer uh, he spoke with you, Sean, not too long ago. Clearly, very happy about the way things have worked out for his brother at Penn State, and, and uh, you know he's a guy that it's it's not just the last name here. We've said it before on the camp circuit. He really, really was impressive in front of the Penn State staff, earned himself an offer. And by the way, another guy we saw on the camp circuit this year, Caden Prather. Boy, does that guy look like he has a lot of potential, a mid-Atlantic wide receiver and someone who's on campus as well this week. So 2021 class right now with one commit. Nick Elksness said it right that time. Um, Tight end out of Jacksonville, Florida. They want to build this thing up, and I feel like this is a huge opportunity Maybe to build on that foundation, but more than that, to set the tone. Because last year, there was a lot of hope with the 2020 class, especially here regionally. Even though this is a top 12 class right now nationally, it didn't materialize in a lot of the ways with some of the marquee names that people had hoped for. 2021 seems like it's there for the taking, and this is the kind of game, the kind of environment, and the kind of tone that you can establish that really puts you in a great spot moving forward. Well, now that we are nearing the hour and 20 minute mark of this Lines 24-7 podcast episode, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, but you won't have to wait very long for the next one. We are going to be back Saturday post-game podcast. Hopefully you've come to expect that. Um, we actually had our highest listening audience ever for this show coming off of the Iowa podcast. And considering that went live, I think after 2 a.m., Eastern time, late Saturday night, uh, huge, huge uh, thank you to everybody out there who, who does tune into the show. Uh, those of us who reach out to us on Twitter, uh, we have a lot of fun here and, and we'll bring it to you however the game turns out uh, late at night again from Beaver Stadium. So look for that coming your way uh, somewhere between night and morning uh, heading into Sunday and, and, and we'll be back with you then. Uh, for now, thank you to Brian Doan for joining us. Always appreciate his insight. Go to check out our complete coverage of this whiteout game. We've got a lot about the Michigan and Penn State matchup, uh, key players to watch, key trends. Uh, we got our midseason superlatives up. A great read if you're looking to kind of catch up or get a better understanding of this. You got you know takes from me, from Sean, and from Mark on a lot of different categories about this program at the midway point of the season. Again, about 3,000 words if you want to dive into that on lines 24-7 right now. And additionally, the perfect time to jump into our VIP membership. If you're just a, a fan of the podcast, Take the plunge, man. Take the plunge. This is a great chance. One month that you're paying for, but you're getting three months out of it. Again, you pay for one month. We tack on two months. That takes you 
to the end of the year. And that takes you into the early signing period. And this is the really the part of the recruiting process that you want to be in. A lot of this stuff before, it, it, there's ebbs and flows and, and you think you, things you think and things that turn out to be incorrect. You start to learn a lot of truths. And that's when the, the reporting really comes through for our 24-7 sports network. Again, Steve Wiltfong, Brian Doan, guys on the West Coast, guys down South, and of course, locally, myself, Sean Fitz, bringing you all the recruiting news you need to know as a Nittany Lions diehard. So join us now on VIP, make it the complete package. We'll be there all the time. You know where to find us on the podcast. Uh, We'll talk to you Saturday night for now. The stage is set. I am on my way to check out this ESPN game day uh, setup down on campus, and, and we are ready to roll here in Happy Valley. For those at the tailgate, Come say hello tomorrow. I plan on being out there. It looks like a, a nice day in store for us at the Lions 24-7 tailgate. And then we'll get to uh, get to coverage on this game. Uh, Michigan-Penn State kicking off 7.30 p.m. on ABC. Uh, we'll be with you in the press box. And I think that will be shaking early and often in the press box with this whiteout atmosphere. For now, stepping aside, on behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.